checking out Real Talk Personal Finance. Shit's about to get real. Cashflow King with you today. And today in episode 29, why I'm not investing in a car wash syndication yet. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Shout out to our brand new 18th country, Hong Kong. Really appreciate you guys out in Hong Kong listening to the show and everybody else for tuning in. We really, truly appreciate it. Today, I wanted to talk to you in a relatively short episode about a syndication opportunity that came across my radar within the past few weeks. And as I was evaluating this, I went through several different steps, and I thought it might be helpful just to kind of take you through my journey from start to finish on something like this. As we always say, we don't give any advice on the show. We don't give any recommendations on the show. This is for entertainment and education purposes only. Always do your own due diligence and figure shit out for yourself, basically. But I thought it might be helpful to shed a little light on what I recently went through and my current decision at the current time to not invest in a particular car wash syndication and why I might consider doing so in the future. So I was listening to a podcast. I, believe it or not, not only do a podcast, but also like to listen to several different podcasts, many of which are personal finance in nature. And there was a syndicator who came onto a podcast that I've been listening to for quite some time. And this particular podcast really is kind of one of my favorites. The person that hosts the podcast basically changed my life for the better in terms of getting me started in real estate investing, which is great. And a lot of their earlier episodes were really awesome. But every now and then in recent times, some of the episodes are lacking in my opinion, and there's a lot to be desired. And anyway, so there's some good and some bad. You got to take the good with the bad, right? Some of my shows are good. Some of them are dog shit and hopefully you like them all, but let's just face it. Some are going to be better than others. Anyway, I was listening to this podcast. There was a syndicator that came on there and this particular operator there, they have their hands in a lot of different things right now. They are primarily in the ATM space, the car wash space and the self storage space. And I know that sounds crazy to say they're primarily in, and then I named three different things. Also, historically, they've been in the multifamily space. And so it's good sometimes to evolve and get involved in different things over time. And your interests can change. The markets can change. Your investment style could change. You might want to supplement some things. You might want to diversify your holdings into some different areas, all of which is totally understandable. But this particular person in their group usually have some pretty interesting things, right? And I'm not going to name names. If you listen to any other personal finance podcast, real estate investing podcast, you may have stumbled across some of the same information and that's fine. If you research hard enough, I'm sure you can find it. It's not really that hard, but this particular opportunity was for a car wash. And so if you think about just car washes in general, I know in my own local community, there was one for sale. I'm sure there's many for sale that aren't advertised, but there was one for sale that was advertised a couple of years ago. And I think at the time the asking price was around $300,000. And this particular car wash had maybe a half a dozen bays for self-service where you could take one of those wands and wash your car. And then they had one bay that was sort of a one car at a time touchless automated you pull up to the machine punch in what you want you know give me the fucking spit shit shine and pull your car in there let it spit rainbows everywhere and pull out and it was really nothing overly fancy but yet they were asking you know a reasonable amount of money for that particular car wash and there's other ones in town and I'm sure wherever you're located that some are fancier than others right location has a lot to do with it the size of the land parcel but also obviously is going to be at least partially, if not majority, influenced by the amount of revenue and net operating income, ultimately, that the thing brings in. 
And so I thought that was interesting. And, and my other thought immediately was, well, shit, I'm not going to pay 300 grand for that shithole, right? And then you look around, and again, it's going to be different no matter where you go. Anyway, this particular syndication opportunity, what they're doing, a little bit different than sort of your mom and pop one-off location or maybe just a couple different private locations for car washes, they are looking at and putting money and raising money for a certain franchise. And again, I'm not going to name any names. This is not a promotion. I am not raising money. I don't give a shit what you do with your money. This is simply just from my perspective here. And so they are raising money and essentially buying up these different car wash franchises in certain locations, and they're expanding fairly rapidly I went to the website of this particular group just to kind of get a sense of, well, what happens if you want to open one location on your own as an individual investor? What if you want to get involved in this and become a franchisee? What does that look like, right? And there's some different numbers out there, but depending on whether or not you were going to lease the land or buy the land, the liquid capital that you would need to get even started with something like this from the get-go for one unit, depending on the size of it, because they do different sizes based upon demand and the size of the land parcel and all that kind of shit, was anywhere from 600000 to $1.5 million liquid. Not net worth. You needed at least uh, $1 to $2 million in net worth, but liquid cash that you could put into this thing was between 600000 and $1.5 million. And for some people, they may have that laying around in the bank right now. Hopefully you don't, because inflation is just killing it if you do. But if you do, good problem to have, I guess. You might be able to get started with something like that. The franchise fee alone was like fifty grand, right? So to just think about that, and I wanted to start with that as we kind of consider what they are offering and why somebody like me or anybody else might consider an investment into some type of syndication like this. And so this particular group, again, they're raising money to buy these different franchises all across the country, essentially. And then ultimately, their plan is to package them up and sell them to essentially institutional investors for quite a big multiple. I think they said something like the packaged, you know, if you bought a package of different car wash facilities or franchises with this particular group, it was trading somewhere in the 20x multiple range. So just astronomical potential growth there as far as that goes. And supposedly, I've not read the, the FDD, the franchise disclosure document, because I'm not applying for a single franchise. Quite frankly, it's not something that I could afford to do at this particular moment in time and just put up 600000 to $1.5 million cash money ready to go. But supposedly, they've never had one of these units fail before. And there's a first time for everything. So don't let that, you know, don't let that make you think that it's, it's not possible, right? Anyway, so that's what they're doing. And so their pitch to investors like myself, passive investors that might be interested in syndications is pretty much, hey, if you're an accredited investor and you want to invest in this offering, the minimum investment's $100,000. And what we're going to do is we're basically going to take your money. It's going to be backed by these actual real assets, these actual car washes, which have certain tax advantages and the ability to accelerate depreciation and depreciate things over certain schedules and really create sort of a pretty large paper loss for you in those initial years. We're going to take your investment. We're going to go out and buy these things. We're going to pass through a lot of that depreciation to you. And in, I think it was a five-year time period. Let me see what I have here. We have this thing start because I printed out my little analysis here. Yeah, one, two, four. Okay, so we made an assumption that if you started an investment at the beginning of 2023, I have January 1st of 23, and I have the final payments in October of 28. So, okay, about five years, give or take a little bit. 
they were going to pay you essentially by the time the thing is all said and done a 1.75x multiple. So you put in 100 grand and by the end of year 5 you would have gotten $175,000 back and that's it. Now, given the market environment, if you listen back to the last episode with Cube Crusher or you've turned on the TV logged into your retirement or investment account lately, clicked on the stocks app on your phone, whatever the case might be, it's no secret that things have been on a little bit of a downswing. And if you had 100,000 in something, it's probably turned into a lot less than 100,000. So hearing that, hey, you could put 100 grand into something, you got 175 on the back end five years later, it doesn't really sound all that bad, right? Maybe, maybe not. So that is sort of the sizzle, right? They want you to get excited about that. You're basically going to make 75 grand on your money, on a $100,000 investment, per $100,000 investment. Again, pro forma, no guarantees. But you're going to do that in a five-year period. It's going to be backed by car washes that these particular franchises have never failed. We're going to give you some pretty awesome pass-through depreciation and tax benefits along the way to potentially shelter other types of investments, passive investments generally, that you may have. And you're thinking, why the hell would you not invest in something like that? Well, We'll get into that here shortly, but I want to first take you through my due diligence process. So first I heard this, my interest was piqued. I was intrigued. I reached out to this particular group. I also started researching this particular franchise. That's why I was able to come up with, and it's not that I did anything fancy. I just went to their website and see these different numbers I'm talking about, about liquidity requirements and net worth requirements and all that sort of thing, where these were already located, where they're not yet located, so on and so forth. And I said, okay, and I reached out to them. I got the PPM, the private placement memorandum, and I started doing my due diligence and taking a look at the opportunity and reading through 105, I believe, or so page document of what the hell is going on and what are they doing with the money and how is this thing structured and so on and so forth. And ultimately, like I said, I decided personally not to invest in this. So I looked at the document. I just so happened to have a call schedule with my tax advisor, my CPA. We were talking about some other stuff. And towards the end of the call, I brought this up and we talked through it a little bit. And one of the things that this group was advertising at the time, I brought this to their attention because it turns out it was a mistake, was that this particular offering was structured as a debt fund. So we talked a lot in the real estate, passive real estate investing mini series about syndications. And most of which, if not virtually all of which, if I memory serves, were equity-based syndications where you participated in some portion of the upside, assuming there was upside to be had, right? And you wouldn't typically invest in something like that if you didn't strongly believe there was some upside to be had. Well, in this particular fund, in the way that a debt fund is structured, you don't participate in the upside. In fact, it's written in bold in capital letters screaming off the page if you look hard enough in the PPM that pretty much you will, as an individual investor, be cashed out at 1.75x multiple your money. So again, you put in 100 grand, once you hit 175, boom, you're done. You do not get any additional upside, okay? That is one reason that I decided not to invest, at least as of yet. Ever wish you could have your groceries hand-delivered to your doorstep without ever having to step foot in a grocery store? Well, now you can. Introducing Instacart. With Instacart, you can shop multiple stores in your local community, all on a single order, hand-picked and hand-delivered by your own personal shopper right to your doorstep in as little as one hour. I used it myself recently, 
and my personal Instacart shopper was able to send me a photo of what they actually had because my gummy worms were out of stock. And lo and behold, they had my other favorite flavor, Very Berry. Check out the link in the show notes. It lets Instacart know that we sent you, and it helps support the show. Instacart. Never step foot in a grocery store again. So I'm talking to my CPA about it, and I said, look, they're structuring this thing supposedly as a debt fund, and on the one hand, but on the other hand, they're saying that we're going to get all these pass-through benefits and depreciation and all this good stuff. What am I missing? What gives here? And the response was that, generally speaking, things like bonus depreciation, accelerated depreciation, any sort of pass-through depreciation and paper loss tax deductions that you might otherwise get from an investment like this is not something that you're going to receive in a debt fund. Okay. And so that was kind of, you know, my CPA is telling me they're just blowing smoke. And on the other hand, they're over there promoting, it's going to do this, it's going to do that. And if you look at car washes, also convenience stores, there's different uh, tax classifications and ways to depreciate certain types of property. And you can accelerate the depreciation, all that kind of went out the window. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. So anyway, as far as the debt fund offering goes, it turns out that if it were truly structured that way, those pass-through benefits would not exist. As it turns out, so after talking to my CPA, I actually reached out to the syndicator and got on the phone with them, actually just got off the phone with them probably within 30 minutes of recording this podcast. And gentleman I spoke with basically said, hey, our bad, that was a mistake. We were originally going to structure this fund as a debt fund, and we were going to pay a fixed rate of return. But instead of doing that, we decided to just use the 1.75x multiple and then essentially cash investors out. And it turns out it is an equity fund. It just has a capped upside. And therefore, those tax benefits actually would pass through because it is an equity fund, not a debt fund, like it said on some of their materials and their website. And they didn't realize that, so they're going to correct it. But that changes a lot of things with regard to tax benefits. So that's good. But it doesn't change the underlying structure of the fact that the return is capped on the upside. In other words, if you put in 100000 75000 over a five-year period is your best case scenario. You cannot do better than that. Now, there's different asset classes you can invest in. We've talked about multifamily. We've talked about self-storage. We've talked about all kinds of stuff on the podcast in the, in the Passive Investing miniseries that we did all of which have their own associated tax benefits with them. But if you remember back to that, most of the equity multiples that existed, right? How much am I going to essentially make all in on my money, right? If I have a 2x multiple or a 2.5x multiple, I'm going to make 2 to 2.5x my money over, again, that's a pro forma, over a specified time period. Well, a lot of those time periods are also four years, five years, six years, but the multiples are a little bit higher. And you might be thinking, well, 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 cash flow king, you should not make an investment decision strictly based on the multiple. And I would say you are absolutely correct. You should not do that. Okay. But it's important when you're looking at things because those are the projected multiples on the other deals, which most of them are a little bit higher, but also you have upside there. So if they really knock it out of the park in some of those funds, or if you're in a single asset syndication, you can do significantly better than that. That's not the case with this particular car wash fund where your best case scenario, again, is a 1.75x multiple. So that was part of my due diligence, right? Heard the podcast, 
reached out to the syndicator, got the materials, reviewed the materials, talked to the CPA, poked around on their website, the website of the franchisor and some other sources just to kind of kick the tires a little bit and see what the hell was going on with this thing. Talked to the syndicator directly. And also in that process, I did my own IRR calculation, my own internal rate of return analysis. And you can do this with an online calculator, right? So I'm not doing anything special. You can go to Google and type in IRR calculator for internal rate of return calculator. And there's a bunch of them that pop up. Some of them are better better than others, some are more user-friendly than others, and so on. But I went to that. I took the pro forma numbers on the PPM, the private placement memorandum from the syndicator, and I kind of had to make some educated assumptions, and I plugged some numbers in. So when you go to the PPM, they're going to say, hey, you put in 100 grand as an example. Here are the cash flows that you might expect in years one, two, three, four, five, right? And again, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. But the way they structure this particular deal you get paid as the investor your 1.75x before they make any money. So again, it's not a guarantee, but you better be damn sure that you're going to be able to hit that as the as the sponsor, right? Before you go taking money in, because if you don't hit that, then you're really not going to get paid, or you're not going to get paid all that much as far as your take goes. So I say all that to say you should be reasonably confident that the pro forma numbers are more than likely accurate. So I did that and I took the cash flow numbers for each of those five years, I believe it was. And I, the, again, in the PPM, reading the PPM, it says, hey, you know, we're probably not going to pay anything out for six to 12 months from when you invest. But when we do, we're probably going to pay it out quarterly. Again, there's a lot of ambiguity in some of these things. You really need to dig into them. So I said, okay, if we did that and we took the annual pro forma cash flow numbers and we simply divided by four, and it might not be quite an even distribution, but just to keep the math relatively simple and as accurate as reasonably possible, divide by four. So for example, and it didn't say this, but let's say they said, hey, we're going to give you $1,000 in the first year. I take $1,000 and divide by four, 250 bucks a quarter. Okay. So when I go into this IRR calculator, I'm assuming I'm going to get a quarterly distribution. And for that first year in that hypothetical example, I'm going to put in 250 bucks for each of those four quarters. The next year in year two, it's going to say, here is the estimated distribution. Again, I'm making this up. Let's say it was $2,000 divided by four. Now I'm going to get $500 a quarter for that second year, right? The numbers were obviously way bigger than this. I'm just, I'm just giving you a hypothetical so you can kind of envision what this looks like. So I'm putting these numbers into the calculator. I put in 100,000, again, assuming January 1st of 2023, and over the course of time, I divide these pro forma annual cash flow numbers out quarterly. We get that quarterly distribution back. And then we're basically cashed out, you know, essentially five years or so later. And then the question is, well, what is the internal rate of return when you take all that into consideration? Numbers are going to vary. But what I came up with running it through this calculator was about a 17.38% internal rate of return. Now, some people would tell you that's really good. I know some real estate investors out there say they don't touch anything that is under 15% IRR. There's some people that shoot for the 20s. There's some people that shoot for 10. Everybody is all over the place in terms of whatever their internal rate of return metrics are, but this one was in the high teens. 17.38% is what I came up with. Okay. Now, the same person that has the podcast that this syndicator group was on that's promoting them and more than likely gets a referral fee for sending people to them, sent out an email to their email list. And I, I don't remember the exact number, but I believe it was somewhere in the low 20s. I believe it was somewhere in the 22 to 23% neighborhood where they were saying that the internal rate of return, the IRR, was projected to be 22 to 23%. 
So again, you have to take certain things with a grain of salt. Even the pro forma numbers and the PPM that I used could be wrong. But I would much rather use those numbers that are in a legal document that is tied to the group that's running this thing instead of using, just taking at face value, the 22 to 23% IRR projection that this promoter, that's podcaster, has on their show and in their email, right? As far as that goes, like what's to stop that person from wanting to estimate on the high side? They don't really give a shit. They just want you to get involved with the group, put some money with the group so they make a referral fee, right? So you always have to do your own due diligence. So it's kind of long-winded, but essentially I heard it on a podcast. I reached out to the group to get the private placement memorandum documents. I read through those documents. I did my own internal rate of return analysis. I talked to my own CPA. I got some seemingly conflicting information. I went back to the syndicator and hopped on the phone with them, got a little bit of clarification. And at the end of the whole thing, decided, you know what? I'm not going to invest this time. And I expressed the main reason I'm not investing this time is I want something with some potential upside. I want to put money in. I want to get a cash flow distribution along the way. And I want to have an opportunity to multiply my money on the back end. I don't want to put something in where my return is absolutely capped and I'm hoping for what's a best case scenario. And by the end of it, when I receive my final distribution, I have nothing. Now you could, and presumably as an investor, if you're a good investor, you would be investing those cash flow distributions along the way and building up other assets and other investments alongside of getting distributions from this one. But at the end of it, if you put the money in and you took the distributions back and you didn't reinvest the distributions, at the end of the five years, you went from having 100000 to getting 175 back and having $0 at the end of it. That's really not a position you probably want to find yourself in, right? So there's a few things I didn't like about it, but the biggest one is there's no additional upside for the individual investors, especially if these packages are supposedly trading in the 20s, 20x multiple when they exit on the back end. Why the hell is a syndicator, and you know who you are, so if you're listening to the show, hopefully you take this into consideration, and I damn sure made sure to tell you about this when I was on the phone, and according to the conversation we had, I'm not the only investor that is voicing the, the opinion this way, but you should cut the investors in to get a piece of that action on the upside. Now, some people might remember back to the passive real estate investing mini series and be screaming at their phones, hey, cash flow king, don't count other people's money. Okay, I get it. Fine. I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm trying to count my own and I'm trying to have more money to count. And I think the fair and equitable way to do that would be to give the investors some of that meat on the bone. So I say all that to say, when talking with them, they are a little more than halfway through. I think a gentleman I spoke with told me that they raised just under $50 million out of the $80 million or so that they were trying to raise for this thing. So this fund is pretty much a done deal. They expect to raise money for maybe the next eight months or so, according to what he told me. When it's done, it's done. Probably won't be the first and last car wash fund. Probably will be another one. And they are definitely going to be considering offering investors some potential equity, at least so they say, on the upside on some additional funds if and when they launch those additional funds. So I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. It's definitely interesting to me. I think that a lot of this type of stuff is just fascinating. Who would have thought car washes and self-storage and things like that that we all see and drive by pretty much every day could be a way to build assets, generate wealth, invest your money, right, for the smaller guy. Because again, if you had 100000 to invest, you can lose half of it to the $50,000 franchise fee and then still not be able to buy the damn franchise for one unit. 
or you could pull your money with some other people, put it into a structure that makes sense for you and your situation, get some tax benefits along the way, not really have to do anything, and hopefully benefit from that on the back end. I just think that the back end of this deal is not good enough yet for me personally. Other people might disagree. Other people might say, compared to what? What's the alternative, right? Where are we going to put our money if we don't put it into something like this? And don't get me wrong. It's definitely intriguing. It's definitely interesting. I definitely have been thinking about it. But the more I think about it, the more I would much rather wait. And if they come out with another fund in a year or two years or two and a half years, I would rather put money to work at that time into something that has some potential upside on the back end versus getting involved in this having my money tied up in this for a five-year period, being halfway through, I can't get out, and my best-case scenario, again, is a capped upside on the back end. So I hope they reconsider. I hope you found this insightful, helpful in some capacity as far as that goes. I really enjoy doing the show. It's a quick one, so hopefully it won't take me too long to edit and get this posted out there for everybody. But I just wanted to give you a glimpse into some real life, like, hey, I'm looking at deals. I'm looking at different opportunities. I'm trying to do my own due diligence. These are some of the things that I'm doing, right? And you should always do your own as well. So again, not advice, information and education. Hope you enjoyed it. That's really all I have for today. This is the Cash Flow King in episode 29, why I'm not investing in a car wash syndication yet. We will see you in the next episode. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys.